0: When people first come to North Cross, one of the first things they will notice is that we spend a lot of time and energy and give a lot of attention to our, our weekend services. Uh, we, have got, we, we just had a huddle this morning with our volunteers, and we were kind of looking at some of the overall numbers, the hundreds of people that make this church what it is, and a lot of that is our Sunday morning environments. If you stick around North Cross long enough you will begin to realize that the amount of energy we spend on our weekend services is pretty much equal to the energy we spend on things beyond the weekend, specifically the time and attention that we spend on groups. So this is part two of a series called Circle Up, where we're talking about why we as a church focus so much energy, not just on the sitting in rows like we're doing here, but also why it's so important to us to gather people up in circles. Just to give you a brief look, this last year at North Cross, we had about 34 groups that met throughout the year. And if you look at the average person, like the people who are in the seats on Sunday mornings, of the members of North Cross, about 55% of them were in a group at one time or another last year. And as my role as the group's pastor, one of my passions is to continue to find space for more people because I know there are people who are looking for a group and waiting for a group, and I'm trying to do my best to guide people and connect people in that way. And I don't want to guilt people into this, as I've told my story before, and maybe I will again in the future. I simply want people to have what I've experienced in my group. Last week, Ben gave a great reason for community we, we, we all tend to drift through life, but having a circle in your life helps get you in the right direction and anchored in the right place. Since he did such a great job, all I have to do today is give you a short commercial and we'll be on our way. <laughs> so here's my commercial. Have I got a deal for you? We have the perfect group waiting for you. And let me tell you about this group. This group, if you join it, you will make 10 new best friends overnight. The kind of best friends where if you had these friends when you were married or if you do get married, they're going to be the people standing up in your wedding. That's how close these friends will be. This perfect group will be vulnerable, but not weird vulnerable. (laughs) Like you know that people will be best friends, but they'll only dig into the topics that you're comfortable with. If you're working on something and you're not ready, they'll be totally shallow on that. Here's the other thing about your group. You can actually talk politics with your group. And do you know why? Because your group will be perfectly aligned with your political beliefs. Everyone else in that group will consume the same news that you do. They'll be ready to talk about the same events that you do. And if you're you're not a political person, no worries. We have a group for you, too. They won't talk about politics at all. Oh, and by the way, you can talk about sports because you'll all cheer for the same team. When, if, the, if the Vikings win, you can all celebrate, and when they lose, you can all just commiserate with no hard feelings. But wait, there's more. Your perfect group will never annoy you. They will never offend you. Because even if there is a moment where they need to confront you up with something or call you out, they will do it in the gentlest, kindest way, perfectly catered to your personality and experiences. So who's ready to sign up? If you go to northcrossmn.org, you can find a link to find the perfect group. I'm kidding. The perfect group does not exist. If it did, as soon as you joined it, it would not be the perfect group anymore. Sorry. (laughs) had to to throw that out there. (laughs) Now here's the reality that we all know. Relationships will be messy. And the closer your relationship is, the more opportunity there is for hurt and offense. I know this because in my 40-some years of life, I have developed relationships with people who have hurt me. And offended me. And I know this because over my 40 some years of existence, I have entered relationships with people whom I have hurt and I have offended. And here's the thing to to note sometimes in life, you might go through a certain season or a time when you are resistant to the idea of developing relationships with people. You want to keep things shallow because you got burned. You got vulnerable with someone, you brought them in, and they, it felt like they betrayed you. And so your self-defense mechanisms kicked in, and you said, never will I be hurt again, and so you said, I'm not going to be close. But the opposite is true, which we often don't think about. I think what's even more common than that is that you can develop close relationships with people, and you say, I'm never doing that again because of the way you hurt them. When someone tries to get close to you, you keep them at arm's length because you don't want to hurt them like you hurt the other people in your life. It got quiet in here. <laughs> Relationships will be messy. The closer you get with someone, the more opportunity there is for someone to get hurt and someone to get offended. And so why in the world would this church skip over the easy messy, mess, messless, unmessy rows that we're in right now. You know, if the person next to you annoys you, don't sit next to them next time. It's, it's so simple, so easy. Unless you're married to them. You have to sit by them. But sitting in rows is so neat. It's so easy. It, there's, there's no risk. So why would we then spend half of our energy gathering people in circles where there will only... And always be the opportunity for feelings to get hurt and people to be offended. What I want to show you today from Colossians chapter 3 is two things. Number one, I want to show you something that we all know, which is that most messes are avoidable. And so something this section is going to show us is how to prevent the mess, before it begins. And this doesn't just apply to like church circles. This applies to any relationship you might have in your life. Uh, Paul is going to show us how to prevent the messes before they come. And the second thing, that we'll hit at the end, is something really incredible. Something that God can only accomplish through a mess that actually leads to a deeper relationship with the people in your life. So first we're going to see how to avoid the mess. We're going to jump into Colossians chapter 3. This book of the Bible is a letter written in the first century to some Christians who lived in the city of Colossae. Guess what they wrestled with? Messy relationships. They were doing things that were creating messes, and so Paul wrote them to remind them that if they were living out their faith in Jesus, these messes could be avoided. So he starts in chapter 3 talking about this this general truth, reminding them of who they are. You are no longer who you were. When you came to faith in Jesus, you became this new person with a new life, a new behavior, a new way of seeing things. And he didn't want them to forget that. And he doesn't want us to forget either. So we're going to jump into verse 9, and here's what he said. You have taken off your old self with its practices. Let me just bring out one thing about your old self. Your old self was very insecure. Your old self had to prove its worth. Your old self had to compete with everyone else in this world to be on top. They had to lose. You had to win. Your old self was very fragile. Paul said, you have taken off your old self with its practices, its manipulations. You have put on the new self, which is being made new, renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. There is something incredible happening in the hearts of people who follow Jesus. The same way that God created Adam and Eve in his image in the beginning is being renewed in your life, slowly, bit by bit. And it won't be completed on this side of heaven. But day by day, you are taking on the image of God as he fills you with his forgiveness and his grace and leads you to reflect his love in the world. So put off your old self that was so insecure, so so anxious that it might not measure up. You have a new self whose worth and identity is measured in blood, the blood of Jesus which was poured out for you. So that's where we are. He has to remind them, this is who we are. This is where we stand. And then he says this, here, standing firmly in this identity of this new self, here, there is no, and when he says there is no, it means there is no possibility for these things to be present when you are here. When you put off the old and put on the new, the things I'm about to list for you have no place. And you might think, wow, what's so bad? He, he, he goes on to explain, here there is no Jew or Gentile. And to be clear, what he's saying is there is no label of you're a Jew, you're a Gentile. Jews and Gentiles was a nationality thing. And in, in that area, it's, you're one or the other. If you're a descendant of Abraham, you're a Jew, everyone else is a Gentile. And so, even in the early Christian circles in that first century, people were using those labels. Well, I'm a Jew. I grew up this way. I'm a father of Abraham. I had the law, the commandments. You're just a Gentile. You're one of those people. Or the Gentiles might look and be like, "You're crazy. You think that just because you're relative with someone that you're someone." And so that was a, a label that was being attached. Paul said here. There is no Jew, Gentile. There's only Jesus. Here, there is also no circumcised or uncircumcised. I mean, I know this is two messages in a row where I've talked about those words. So I'm just going to go over it quickly. The idea is people who were raised, modern context, people who were raised in church and followed all the rules and people who kind of wandered into faith later in life. And again, back in the first century, they would label people. Oh, you're one of them? Oh, you're one of them. Maybe you felt that way. If you came to faith later in life, or you're just learning about God later in life, you might feel really underqualified in the presence of other people. Like, I don't know if I can talk about my faith or talk about God. I hardly know anything. Paul would say, don't worry about that. Because who you are is not tied to your background. He also said, here there is no barbarian. Or Scythian, and these are fun words. If you want to offend someone this week, call them a Scythian. <laughs> barbarian, the Greek word, comes from an poia. Is that the word? Automata. It sounds like, the barbarian sounds like something else. Um, so in, in Hebrew or in Aramaic, bar is a very common word. And so if you didn't know that language, you're trying to stumble through it, you'd be like, bar, 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 bar. Bar, and it, you'd sound like a fool. And so people are like, oh, you're a barbarian. That's where the name came from. And so we think barbarians today, we, we might think in different terms, someone who's crude, um, someone who's just vulgar. Um, but for them, barbarian was a way to make fun of someone's inability to fit in. Paul said here, there is none of that. Scythian was a little similar. A Scythian, they actually made it a verb also. I'm not sure how to make that in English but to, uh, to Scythian uh, was basically, the, the Scythians were people who came from the north, they terrorized people, they plundered, they, they did a lot of damage, but they never set up a kingdom. It's just like they were terrorists who'd come in, take things, and leave, and you never knew when they were going to come. And, and so it, if you were to call someone a Scythian, it was basically saying like, you're, just, you're, you're a terrorist. You're a horrible person. You're a leech. And Paul said, here... There is no barbarian. There is no Scythian. And finally, he says, there is no slave or free. Now, back in those days, to to be a slave often meant that either you were born into it or you had incurred such a debt that you had to sell your very self to somebody, and you would become their property. And you can only imagine the stigma that would go along with that. Oh, you're, you're a slave? And then the free would stand up and say, I've I've made good financial decisions. I'm my own person. And they could take pride in that. And so Paul says, here, there is no free or slave. So here, what is there? There's only one option. Christ is all. And all is in Christ. And he is in all. Christ is all and is in all. In other words, when you are a new person, taking off the old, putting on the new, when you look at the other people who have done that same thing, God has brought them to faith, they know Jesus, they follow him, when you look at them, you don't see Jew, Gentile. You don't see a person according to who they cheer for, whatever sports team that is. You don't draw these boundaries or these divisive lines because you realize we are all on common ground. We are human. We were dead in our sin. We've been made alive in Christ. Now, I just have one question for you. Looking back at this last week, at this last month, are you here? Are you in a place where you can look at the people around you and say, you know what? We're all one. Or have you, in your heart, in your mind, attached labels to people and said, oh, they're that kind of person. Oh, they're the Scythian. Ooh, there's that barbarian who can't even talk. Have you in your heart attached these labels that have brought down the value of the people around you? If so, Paul says, here, that doesn't happen. So here's what we see. Number one, refuse a divisive mindset. The same Jesus is in everyone. Refuse a divisive mindset that judges other people for how they fail to meet your standard. See in them what you see in yourself, someone who has failed to meet God's standard and yet one who has been redeemed by Jesus. Refuse that divisive mindset that labels people and devalues them, but rather recognize that the same Jesus is in everyone. And as such, you should pay attention to what you wear. Because if, if you're a new person in Christ, then the same thing that applied to, to me in, in high school should apply to you. That after, after football practice and you're all sweaty and you take a shower, you shouldn't put on the same clothes. Shouldn't. But sometimes we do. And so Paul had to tell me this and maybe has to tell you this too. Uh, Next verse, he says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, never forget who you are. Clothe yourselves accordingly. Now, what what do we normally do when when someone makes a mess in our lives? Normally, when someone makes a mess, what what do you naturally think? Oh, they're, they're making a mess. They're offending me because they think I'm not worth anything. Well, I'll show them. They're the ones not worth anything. And so you take up your weapons, you armor up for battle, and you get ready to slug it out. You might win, but you'll win alone. So Paul said, when, when you remember who you are and things get messy, you don't armor up for battle. You clothe yourself for peace. Clothe yourself with compassion. Because when someone makes a mess in your life, it's not about you. Compassion helps you to see that when people are making a mess, it's because something's wrong with them. Something happened. They're hurting. And in your compassion, you can see past your own worth and see their hurt. So clothe yourself with compassion. Clothe yourself with kindness. Because what we all know is that when God came to us, he did not come with fierceness. He didn't come with judgment and anger and threat to change our behavior. He came to us with kindness because the kind of change he wanted to bring was not just one of conformity, but one of transformation in the heart. And so when someone makes a mess, kindness, kindness allows their mess to seep right around your feet. Humility. Clothe yourself with humility. Every day remembering that your place in this world is not to make a big deal about yourself. Jesus clothed himself with humility for you, to serve you and rescue you. And likewise, you get to clothe yourself with humility. Because your place is that of a servant To leverage whatever you have for the benefit of others. Leverage whatever God has given you to help those around you. So clothe yourself with humility. Clothe yourself with gentleness. Because we've all been on the receiving end. When we make a mess and there is no gentleness in addressing it, that only leads to shame and guilt. But when Jesus entered into your mess, he did it with gentleness not just pointing out everything that was wrong, but approaching you as a shepherd approaches a wandering sheep with gentleness. And clothe yourself with patience. I don't think I need to say much about that. God knows we all need more patience. Because when there's messes in your life, what do you want to do? You want to fix it, get rid of it. You want to tell the other person why they messed up. But patience gives you the time to let grace do its work. So clothe yourself with patience. Remember that you took off your old self, and when God raised you up and forgave you, he brought to life a new self, one that has been washed clean. Clothe yourself according to who you are. Then Paul gives more encouragement. He says, this won't always work. Even though you're clothed perfectly, you're going to disappoint each other. And so he says, bear with each other. And forgive, I want to stop there, because the word forgive isn't the normal word for forgive. It can also be translated to give generously, to be open-handed. But in the context, it's a good translation to forgive because of what follows. He says, forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. That word grievance isn't the normal word for sin. It's more of this annoyance. Like someone got on your nerves, they kind of crossed over the line a little bit. They, they, they implied something about you. Or they didn't, they didn't acknowledge you. You shared something and they didn't acknowledge you the way that you thought they should. It's, it's, an, it's a grievance. It's an annoyance. And Paul says, just be generous with each other. Just bear with each other. Forgive each other for these little things. And then he, he, he like sets them up for the uppercut. He says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Wow the things that I find annoying, that you find annoying with the people in your circles, what if we would apply the same forgiveness that God gave to us? Never forget who you are. The old is gone, the new has come up. Be clothed for peace and be ready to express that as you celebrate the peace God established with you. And then finally, he says this. Over all these virtues like the belt or the thing that ties it all together, is love. Love binds them all together in this perfect unity. Even if you forget in the moment, wait, am I supposed to be compassionate or patient or gentle or kind? Just remember, all of them are fulfilled in love. So if you want to avoid drama, avoid the mess in relationships, it begins by remembering who you are and dressing accordingly. Number two, instead of armoring up for battle, clothe yourself for peace. If you armor up for battle and you pick up the weapons, you might prove what you're worth. But what you can make for yourself, what you make yourself worth is nothing compared to what God has already declared you to be worth. He already fought your battle. He already went to the grave. He already shed his blood to prove how worth, worthy you are. So instead of armoring up for battle to prove to the people in your circles that they made a mess and it's devaluing you, could you just be resilient in who God has already declared you to be? Clothe yourself with peace because you've already won. Then finally, this is what happens when you put that all together. Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That peace determines how you make decisions in every area of life. If you're living by the old self that is so vulnerable and fragile because its worth is being attacked and called into question, you won't have any peace. But when you know who you are, and that has been established in Christ, there is this peace that rules over your hearts. And it rules over your circles. Because as members of one body, you were called to peace. Common ground. Be thankful that you get to be part of a circle like that. And then not just let the peace of Christ rule over your heart, but he said, let the message of Christ dwell in you richly. Now, I know in modern day America, it's kind of customary. You go to church once a week, maybe once every other week, maybe once a month, and, you know, the word of God is kind of like you go to the doctor, get a checkup, get your shot, and you're good to go. But Paul says, no, this word of God, let it dwell in you richly. It's something that takes up residence in your heart, his words guiding and directing your thoughts and your beliefs. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach, share new information, and admonish. In other words, you challenge other people's views as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. I love how he blends this all together. He starts with, you need to confront each other with the truth of God. And then the same sentence he says, ah, we're singing spiritual songs to God with with joy in our hearts. Because you can do that in a circle that is focused on the kingdom of God. Because it's not about you. It's not about your worth. There's a higher calling that you're all gathered around. And then finally, he, he wraps it up this way. This is what changes the world. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, if Paul were to stand up here and give you a commercial and say, have I got the perfect group for you? What would he say? Our natural inclination is to say, what kind of people are they? Do they have the same labels that I have? Do we have things in common? Will I be happy? Will they offend me? What will we do? It's it's all about me. But here's the thing to know, number three. Big things happen when a small circle's mission is to seek God's kingdom. I'll expand on that in just a moment. But first, think about how this was true for Jesus himself. He had a small circle, 12 guys. And in the last day of his life, whittled down to 11. And half, half a dozen women, too. We're not told too much about them. But he had a small circle. And before his death, they did some pretty amazing things. They went out. They preached. They taught. They healed people. Like, this, there was this buzz that was created. But then, on the day that Jesus would die, the 11 were together, Afraid. And when Jesus died, it's like all hope had been lost. They were afraid the same thing would happen to them. The circle had shrunk severely and they weren't sure what was going to happen. And on top of that, people like Peter were like, why did I do that? And the others were like, why did we we allow this to happen? Why didn't we fight for him? Why did we wander away and leave him alone? And as they were swirling around all these troubling things, they experienced what we often do as well. Why did we come together in the first place? Life would be so much easier without all the people. And yet, it was from that circle of 11 that a message came out that would change the world. Because in the aftermath of Jesus' death came the most important event in history. Jesus came back to life, and he shared with his 11 what that meant. Because he lived, they would live also. Because he had conquered death, that was proof that sin had been paid for for all people. And so starting in Jerusalem, those 11, and starting in Galilee, those 11 would, would break out with this news of what had happened. And people would, would hear about this amazing message and come to know that everything had changed. Were they a mess on the day Jesus died? Absolutely. They had made a mess. It was all, for some of them, it was all about themselves and about the, the place they would have in whatever kingdom Jesus would establish. But by the end, God had changed their mess into something so beautiful. And think about this for you. You were a mess. I was a mess. We are all still messes in some way. When God found us, we were enemies of God, hostile to him, hating everything about him, self-consumed in every way. And yet his grace took our mess and used it to demonstrate a version of grace that we could never otherwise comprehend. Our mess allowed God to demonstrate his grace so that there should never be a moment or a second in your life where you doubt what you are worth and who you are. God took off the old, raised up a new, a new person that is fit for heaven. So that's why we circle up, because it's not about us. Now, as, as we circle up, will things get messy? No, because the perfect group has perfect people, and they're never going to offend you or annoy you in any way. Let me just say this. Even though we have circles of church people, things still get messy. So here's the thing. Grace doesn't just preserve community when things get messy. Like, oh man, they really offended me today, but I guess I have to forgive them. So we'll just get along. Grace is so much greater than that. You see, usually a mess has the possibility to cancel someone, but with, when you're here, here in your new self, there is no canceling, there is no labeling, because we are all on common ground. Here's the amazing thing about grace, number four. Grace makes messiness an opportunity for even deeper community. Two people who are hurt to come together and say, this is something that should tear us apart. But because of the grace that we've been shown, what would happen if we extended that to one another? And when two people come together, both with the grace of God and say, we will make this work, we will figure this out, what you have in the aftermath of that is a relationship that is so much deeper that nothing other than that mess could have created. Grace makes messiness an opportunity for even deeper community. And so... Here's my view of the perfect group, the perfect circle. The perfect circle has a mission that is bigger than its people. They don't come together because it's entertaining or because they have common interests, although they often do. But this is a a perfect circle that comes together for a higher purpose. They are here to seek God's kingdom together. And when there is a mess, that is an opportunity for grace to make the relationship even deeper. So when it comes to our church, here's what I can tell you about your group, Um, a few things. Your group, you might not be best friends with everyone, but you will all be on the same team, fighting in the same direction to to go through life trying to reflect God's love better and better each day. In your group, everyone can join in and be real. I don't don't suggest being totally 100% vulnerable with every single thought in your mind. I do suggest that as topics come up, you say, you know what, I wrestle with that too. But here's what God has taught me. Everyone will have an opportunity to join in and be real as you share your experiences in life. One thing I can hopefully guarantee, and if, the, if, you, if you find this in your group, please let me know, no politics. We'll just leave that out. We don't, we don't need to go there. Unless we're going through a series about politics, then we might talk about it a little bit. But again, from a common ground, a common ground. And then lastly, we're here to follow Jesus together. We're not here to impress people. We're not here to live up to a certain standard or prove how much scripture we can quote. This is a place where people simply do life together as they follow Jesus together. And and you might be thinking to yourself, if if you're not in a group and you haven't been in one, you might be thinking some of these things. You might say, but I'm not in a good place. I've got some issues I need to figure out. And I'll acknowledge, our groups are not designed for group therapy, and they're not designed to overcome addictions but as you seek help for those things, this will be a group of people who cheer for you and pray for you, and they will offer any accountability that you ask for. Second thing you say, well, I, I don't really know that much. The other people in the group, they probably like, know the Bible forward and backward. I just I don't know that much about God. I'll just assure you that the way we set up our groups is designed with that in mind. All you do is share what you've learned from your past, either good or bad, you share what these truths might look like in your life, you don't have to know or memorize the Bible front to back to be a part of a group. And finally, you might say, I'm just too busy, I can't handle another meeting. Can I just put it this way? Being in a group isn't about attending meetings. It's about doing life together with other people. And when Jesus launched his church, he did not command the 12 disciples to set up three uh, three monthly meetings to get together for 90 minutes and to enjoy 30 minutes of fellowship and 60 minutes of sermon discussion. He said, people will know you by the way you love one another. Love one another as I have loved you. And that's my goal, my wish for you. That you would have a circle of people in your life that are not perfect, but they're following Jesus just like you. Now, at the end of the day, there might be some messes that come up. But in the context of a circle that is focused on seeking God's kingdom, those messes will be an opportunity for grace to be applied and to grow even deeper with one another. So, let's circle up. Not because it'll be easy, but because this is one way that God will take his powerful truths and implant them in your life in a way that you will live it and practice it with one another. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, the world is full of reasons why we should isolate and separate and draw up lines and only get together with people that we have things in common with. Help us to see that we have something so much better than that, You've given us a common ground that erases all of those other things. There is only Christ, and all is in Christ. Help us to see people the way you see them. Imperfect, like we are. Sinful, like we are. Forgiven, freely, as we are. As you build up your church in this place and every place, use rows, like we're in now, to inspire us and lead us to your truth then also give us the circles to help take that truth and apply it to life. Give us the the confidence, the wisdom this week. Um, Help me as as the pastor of this church to create opportunities and and spots for people who are looking for groups. Help us to overcome any hurdles that we might have, to, to to make this a priority in our lives. And maybe it's not even in a church circle, but just to recognize the circles we have where we can be encouraged and offer encouragement with the grace that you have given I pray all these things in Jesus, our Savior's name. Amen.